0: You are listening to Reach MD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. The impact of minimal procedure regulations. Do they change practice? Welcome to Clinician Roundtable. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino, a cardiologist at the University of Chicago Medical Center, and your host today on Clinician Roundtable. With me today is Dr. Vivian Ho. She is the Associate Professor of Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine and the James A. Baker III Institute Chair in Health Economics at Rice University. Recently, Dr. Ho was the author of a paper in the International Journal of Healthcare Finance and Economics concerning certificates of needs. These certificates of needs uh, are used by states to determine the minimal number of procedures that a institution may use. And I'd like to go into a little bit more detail about uh, this study and about the potential impact of this study. I know that in certain states, uh, certificate of needs have uh, been in place and then sometimes have been um, removed. Do you know of any uh, data that shows that practice has been changed, uh, if that is the case? If a certificate of need wasn't placed and then has been removed, do more uh, centers all of a sudden start doing procedures they couldn't do before?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. There is only one comprehensive study out in the literature, which was done in, after Pennsylvania dropped its cardiac CON in 1996. And uh, what that study found is there was... When they did a before and after analysis of the comparison of the number of providers, the number of providers grew dramatically after they dropped CON, and this was looking at open-heart surgery. So there are many more units providing CON, uh, providing um, open-heart surgery, but the mortality rates did not change. And in that particular instance, I believe the total number of procedures did not change as well and so what happened is you had the same number of procedures um, being performed amongst more providers which meant lower volume which should have changed mortality and it didn't so I think that goes along with the results of, of the study I'm finding People tend to think there is a volume outcome effect in many cases, but not so much in this case. And, and it might be because when a, a new hospital comes in and performs something as complex as open-heart surgery, they just don't go out and hire a surgeon straight out of medical school to perform these procedures. They actually pull physicians from existing hospitals, and those physicians have enough expertise that they can still maintain good quality at new institutions offering these procedures.
0: I was wondering about this idea of volume. We, we know that in many procedures there is a, what's called a learning curve, that uh, it takes a while to get to a certain level of expertise. But after that learning curve is achieved, there usually is a fairly standard uh, level at that point. And so not only volume of procedures, but I wonder if how long a group is performing or how long a, a center has been performing a procedure uh, may have a, an impact. Is there any way of determining if a center has been doing a procedure like open-heart surgery or angioplasty for 10 years versus one year, if there is a, a difference in, in outcome?
1: It's a very tough question to get at because the short answer is you're, you're probably not going to be able to find a difference for open-heart surgery or angioplasty. And the reason why is because hospitals that are big tend to stay big over time, and hospitals that are small tend to stay small. And so when you try and do the statistics on this issue, you can't distinguish between experience and total volume. So, so you're getting at exactly what economists like to um, use to measure learning, which is the cumulative number of procedures that a hospital has performed. What we found when trying to look at these particular procedures is you're not able to, um, to separate those two effects out. Now, that's not to say that it can't be found for other procedures. For example, I've done some research also on cancer surgeries. And in those cases, uh, for example, for the Whipple procedure for pancreatic cancer, um, you can find these effects. And I find that both volume and the amount of experience that a hospital has had um, will tend to lower mortality rates.
0: I know there's been some concerns from groups like the American College of Cardiology that actually designating a number of procedures uh, may actually limit areas in a state where these procedures uh, may be offered. Um, in my home state of Illinois, for example, there is a lot of concern in many of the rural areas that uh, these centers uh, are not going to have the uh, volume to meet some of the minimal uh, numbers that have been published. And yet the physicians who go there have done uh, multiple procedures at multiple areas. They're, they're well trained and uh, have very good outcomes, but yet they would never achieve the uh, minimal number that a C- would require. And the concern is that this may then prevent patients uh, in these areas from achieving a uh, life-saving procedure. They may have to travel sometimes hundreds of miles to, to get the procedure. What, what are your thoughts on how a certificate of needs may actually impair good care to uh, patients in, uh, in areas that can't achieve those numbers?
1: Oh, I agree. The concerns that you are mentioning are valid concerns. And the researchers who've been studying the volume outcome effect have come to conclude that volume should not be the only policy variable to determine what should be done in these cases. And I think, you know, people are starting to say, look, volume may be a rough indicator, but in cases such as rural areas, maybe one should not be looking just at volume, but also the quality of the surgeons, as you mentioned, who are going to perform those procedures and the quality of those facilities. Because even though volume in a statistical regression can predict better outcomes, Um, There are plenty of other things that could also matter, and so we do need to be conscientious that we um, perhaps can allow some low-volume but high-quality facilities to serve rural areas. And so I think that is the argument made by um, uh, also by some policymakers who would like to get rid of CON because they view volume as too rough of an instrument for making policy decisions.
0: The other concern that uh, I have is that there may be uh, demographic uh, issues that may come into place. For example, the severity of illness at uh, one uh, institution versus another, the different risk factors in uh, northern states versus uh, southern states. Was your study able to look at some of this uh, variability that may account for some of the changes in outcomes?
1: The second thing you were talking about is differences in the health status of individuals across different states, which is certainly true. For example, um, people in the West tend to be healthier and they would be more likely to survive a procedure like this. We did, in fact, control for those differences because what we included um, statistically is something called hospital-specific fixed effects, but um, what it does is it allows us to focus on within-hospital or within-state changes in outcomes as a function of CON. So we're we're not getting confused by these differences across states that, as you said, could confound the analysis. Now, the other issue you mentioned is, is a tough thing, um, which also has important policy implications, and it has to do with, with what people call is, is this really a volume outcome effect or is it an outcome volume effect? So, in other words, we're assuming that a higher procedure volume leads to lower mortality rates, but it could be the other way around. It could be that high-quality hospitals actually uh, attract more patients. And so, in that case, there is no learning effect. This is just a question of uh, selection of patients and patients will tend to choose higher quality hospitals and so therefore why would you need CON anyways? And, and those issues are being debated and part of me thinks that you know that's, that's why you don't find much of a mortality effect for these procedures. It, it just isn't there.
0: You are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. This is Clinician Roundtable, and I'm Dr. Matthew Sorrentino. Our guest today is Dr. Uh, Vivian Ho, and we've been talking about uh, certificates of needs and uh, how there is variability uh, in different states and uh, how certificate of needs uh, may paradoxically uh, cause centers to potentially increase their uh, number of procedures to uh, keep their certificate of need. I'm wondering about uh, some of the potential um, Potential lobbying of certificates of needs in states. Uh, I could see the potential situation where a medical center wants to stifle competition, and uh, a big center might lobby the state to uh, put a certificate of need in place uh, with higher and higher minimums to try to wipe out competition uh, around them. Uh, do you think this is a part of the driving uh, force of, of this in, in some states?
1: Oh, oh yes, absolutely. I, I tend to see that in the trade literature when uh, there are discussions or newspaper articles about one particular hospital wanting to provide open-heart surgery in a state and, and the feeling that they are being barred and, and the lobbying is coming from hospitals that do have certificate of need. So a lot of that goes on, and, and as a health economist, I'm very interested in that because, as you can imagine, any time that you limit the number of firms offering a particular good or service, you provide a great deal of market power to those providers who are able to sell in the market, and therefore they're able to raise prices. So so this then becomes a, an issue of profitability for those providers who are offering the service versus those who, um, who are being um, barred from entering.
0: There's, there's been a movement in some states of specialty hospitals. So, for example, heart hospitals where they uh, only take care of uh, cardiovascular uh, diseases. Do you see uh, this as part of the whole uh, scenario that some of these specialty hospitals are trying to, uh, to corner the market uh, by, um, again, trying to lobby the states to have uh, particular certificates for that particular area?
1: Uh, yes, I believe so. I mean, I, I'm, I'm here in the state of Texas and we don't have certificate of need and we actually have, uh, one of the highest entry rates of specially, physician-owned specialty hospitals in the country. So this definitely, uh, certificate of need figures into this particular battle over whether these, these types of physicians' practices will be able to offer services. The concern in those cases is not just that they're, they're offering procedures, but that they may be cream skimming. Some believe that what they will do is tend to choose the less complicated cases to operate on and uh, therefore leave the uh, more severely ill patients to the standard general hospitals who will then uh, have to incur higher costs for caring for these patients, but their reimbursement rate won't go up because a lot of these patients are covered by Medicare where the reimbursement rate for these procedures is fixed.
0: So if we had a perfect world where we wanted to try to reduce costs uh, and keep outcomes as high as possible, what would be your thought as to how to do that since it looks like from your study certificates of needs didn't really have much of an impact? Is there any way we can somehow get a handle on costs and, and quality?
1: the magic question, isn't it? Um, the, I, I'm following um, a belief by, by a number of health economists now that we need to change the Medicare system so it does not reimburse so much for quantity of services provided, but for the quality of services provided. So, for example, Medicare does not reimburse as a function of a five-year survival rate for patients with um, a particular level of heart disease. What they do is they reimburse per angioplasty or they reimburse per open-heart surgery, which only provides hospitals and physicians an incentive to perform more aggressive procedures. And um, what we have to do is move towards a system where we're reimbursing instead for the outcomes and their survival rates of patients over time, regardless of the type of procedure they're provided. So we still give hospitals and physicians uh, a lot of freedom and decision-making on what they want to provide, but also give them an incentive to try and provide it in the most efficient manner by telling them, look, there's a fixed reimbursement rate for this type of level of patient um, over the next five years, and you choose how to um, do that in, in the best manner possible.
0: Sounds like that might be a, more of a documentation nightmare to try to have long-term uh, outcomes as a way of uh, driving uh, cost savings as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. And in ways you could say this sounds like a, like a very sophisticated HMO, and we've gone that route already. Um, but I think the difference now is that we actually are developing much better information technology. So as that improves and we're able to tra- track the characteristics of patients Um, then we can appropriately reimburse providers based on the baseline illness of the patient and saying given a patient with these types of risk factors and illness um, will will definitely give you money that will cover the cost of caring for that patient, a bit of profit, but um, we're also going to give you incentives to provide that care in the most efficient manner.
0: I want to thank Dr. Vivian Ho, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing the use of certificate of needs uh, in relation to cardiovascular procedures. I am Dr. Matthew Sorrentino. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.